0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary BGW. Void report prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to lucky land you know what they say and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the
1: numbers. Now, your host, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles and I am welcomed today by Austin Gale. If you listen to 2 for 1 drafts over at PFF, he is the dude. Um, I have heard some of the funniest dating stories from Austin Gale and also he obviously knows about the NFL draft which is what we're hoping to talk about today. Um, Soaked to have you.
2: Hey, I appreciate it, man. I always tell people the best dating stories I've got, the best stories I've got, the ones I can't tell on the podcast. So eventually I'll have to get those out somehow.
1: Yeah, I feel that. I, uh, yeah, I, not, not to get too far off. I had one where I met a girl in a bar. She asked me to go home with her. I went home with her. We drove 45 minutes away. This was in Georgia. 45 minutes away. Oh man. Didn't go anywhere. She passed out. So I'm at her house in the middle of nowhere in Georgia I wake up the next morning and oh. she's still passed out, like passed out, passed out, and I have to catch a cab to go back to take an exam, um, which was kind of That's a bummer. Not, yeah,
2: so Mike, Mike, has, Mike has a similar story. Maybe we'll get him to tell that one on the pod about him getting driven to like out of nowhere to go through something. But uh, it's, he's he's got a similar one for sure.
1: Uh, but yeah, so obviously there's a Broncos pod. I don't know how much you've watched the Broncos this year, because they weren't necessarily relevant for a big chunk of this season. Um, But kind of looking at it from what you know, I know cornerback is obviously one I'm going to probably bug you about a lot, but what stands out to you is kind of like the big needs that you see.
2: Unfortunately, and I'm, I'm sure this is not going to go over too well, but I mean, quarterbacks, number one for me, I mean, cor- it, it, it's they're not in a situation right now where we feel super confident about Drew Locke making a outlier like Josh Allen leap in, in 2021. And for that reason, I think that's something that I would look to address. I would look to upgrade this offseason. I know that's easier said than done, especially with you know the position they're picking in. But they're a team that with, with Fangio, I, I do feel like that they can get aggressive at the quarterback position, go get a guy in, in the offseason, maybe via trade or trading up and trying to grab one in the draft to at least upgrade it, try and upgrade at the position. Because I don't think, regardless of the needs to fill, whether it's corner, edge defender, especially with the Von Miller situation now, um, I think they could use some help at safety. I mean, if Justin Simmons walks in free agency, regardless of those needs, if you don't make an upgrade at the quarterback position, you're not competing with the Kansas City Chiefs. I wouldn't even argue you're competing with Derek Carr and the Raiders, Justin Herbert and the Chargers. They, there are three other teams in that division that I would argue have a better quarterback situation than the Denver Broncos. And in a quarterback-driven league, you know, four of the highest, four of the five highest graded quarterbacks at PFF are playing this weekend in the championship games. The third guy is Deshaun Watson. We know how bad that, that uh, or the the third ranked player was Deshaun Watson. We know how bad that Texans organization is. I really do think that's their biggest need outside of that. I think you can always get better um, on, on defense, specifically at corner, and I think even at edge defender as well. But I would address quarterback first, and if they can't, they can't find ways to upgrade. The, everything else is ancil- um, ancillary pieces.
1: So. I, I've, I watched some of the quarterbacks yet. I haven't gone through every single game just yet. Is there anybody that stands out to you that would be worth trick? Cause I, I, I agree with you. I don't think you're going to be able to get the guy at nine unless like fields, unless the league is cooler on fields than basically everyone else is. Cause mm-hmm. I like, I've seen like the ESPN mocks, he's, he slides sometimes, stuff like that, but realistically, you're probably going to have to go get him if you're going after a quarterback. Do you think there's a guy other than Lawrence that stands out in this class as worth kind of trading the farm to go get if you're the Broncos?
2: I, I would put Wilson and Fields in that conversation. I think those two guys would be number one overall picks in different classes or if Trevor Lawrence didn't exist. I think they are that good. Maybe the league is cooler on Justin Fields and maybe he does slip a bit, but with how many teams need quarterbacks this offseason and how talented Wilson and Fields are, I would be really surprised if both those quarterbacks fell outside the top five, You know, even the top eight. And Trey Lance is that – Fourth name that I think you even see mocked to the Denver Broncos in some situations where I wouldn't feel super confident trading the farm to go up and grab Trey Lance because I'm not super confident, similar to how I don't think you would be super confident in Jordan Love starting year one yeah. and Trey right. Lance starting year one. You know, coming from North Dakota State, taking pretty much an entire year off of football. Yes, he had that showcase game against Central Arkansas, but like, let's call it what it is. He's not played football in a long time. That would concern me. And I still think he's a ways away. Like, he is not nearly as accurate as Fields or Wilson. He's not nearly as polished or played better, good competition as Fields or Wilson. So Trey Lance is in an interesting spot where if I'm picking inside the top five, top 10 and want to kind of swing the bat on a high ceiling prospect like Lance at the most important position, not in sports, not in football, all of sports, the most important position. I'll probably do that there. But I think where the guy where I feel comfortable trading multiple first round picks or a first and a second round pick or a player package up for it, It's Wilson and Fields. Lawrence is locked in at one. I wouldn't be trying to trade up with the Jacks. I don't think that's the case.
1: Yeah. Unless I mean, I've heard Urban Meyer really likes uh, Justin Fields and he mentioned Zach Wilson. So maybe,
2: no, I don't know. The Urban Meyer conversation is interesting because like, and I've said this before on the podcast, but like Urban Meyer didn't coach Justin Fields. Like yep. he, he left Ohio state and I think was in an admin role the year after, but was not coaching Justin Fields at Ohio state when he did make the transfer from Georgia. I know Urban Meyer has information on Justin Fields that others don't because of his relationship with Ryan Day and the Ohio State coaching staff. He has an edge in terms of scouting him. But I don't think he necessarily has a passion for Justin Fields. And I've said this again, but, like, this is not a Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury situation. This yep. is a situation where – because that situation was a, a team taking the best quarterback in this class at number one overall. The best quarterback in this class is Trevor Lawrence. And I think
1: that's who the Jags should ultimately take at once. I, I personally think that's why Urban Meyer came out of retirement. I don't think he was going to come out of retirement if he wasn't getting essentially Andrew Luck, like he's getting a generational prospect. So Um. So just, just to kind of appeal to the whole Deshaun Watson thing, because it'll be a moving story for a minute. Uh, the rumor right now, or the word right now on Twitter, basically right before we got on, was that it would possibly cost three first round picks, three second round picks, and a player for Deshaun Watson. I would do that every day of the week because he's a, again, he's a top five quarterback. He's young. Yeah. He has some injury questions, but again, like he's a quarterback. He's probably not, I'm not concerned about it. Am I crazy? Mm-hmm. No,
2: not at all. I mean, he is, I'd say top five in this league, top three in this league, if you consider age and how long he'll be doing it for. And I think three first round picks is the floor for yeah. the conversation. I would show you three first round picks yesterday. When you add in the three second round picks and a player that I think some of that is trying to really bring this up. You know, it's trying to like outbid a situation. I think it ultimately comes between three first round picks and that package you kind of just spoke to. I think that's ultimately what his trade value is, especially, I mean, a player. It depends on the, the caliber of that player. It depends on if that's a quarterback that they're trying to address. It also depends where the picks are. Like, if you're trading the number two pick or the number three pick, I know the Jets and Dolphins have been rumored uh, with trading for Deshaun Watson. I think that also factors into the conversation. I'm really interested, interested to see what happens. We talked to Richard Sherman recently. He's, you know, saying, get him out of there, you know, go to, go to New York, get out of the Houston Texans organization. And I think that, that's, that's astonishing to see. And I, 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 we talk about Deshaun Watson every week now. It seems like it's great radio talk and all that stuff. But my thing is no, the Houston Texans shouldn't trade Deshaun Watson. And then the counter to that sometimes is, well, what if he doesn't want to play here? Your number one priority is not okay. He doesn't want to play here. We should trade him. Your number one priority shifts to how do we get good players like Deshaun Watson to play for us and want to play for us? What coach do we need to hire? What 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 players do we need to add in free agency? Because that's what matters. And I know the NFL doesn't want to completely be like the NBA in like a player-driven league where the players tell you where they play. You know, in that kind of situation, I don't think the NFL wants to lose that power necessarily. But at the quarterback position. With Deshaun Watson, the top three talent at his position, I, I do feel like I'm more willing to involve him in, in the conversation about who who's coaching us next year, who's the offense coordinator, who's the quarterback's coach, what pieces are we signing in free agency, what receivers are we targeting in the draft. All that stuff I think matters to me when your most important player wants input and wants to have input in that situation and you're paying him to have that level of input, you're paying him to have that level of impact on your organization I think you need to involve him in these conversations, involve him in your future plans and put him in a position where he wants to play in Houston.
1: Agreed. And it's, it's wild to me that that's where there seems to be the impasse right now. But uh, so, so beyond quarterback, because right now I'm, I'm like a broken Broncos fan, just accepting the fact that I'm having to watch drew lock again for another year. And for how many games I watch and how many games I study, I'm not really looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. But this draft class is not just Drew Lock. I'm actually really excited about the corners. I'm really excited about. I I think there's some pretty cool safeties in this class. Um, I also I love Aziz Ajulari from Georgia. Uh, I think that ed, like the edge class has some. They have prospects that actually really make sense for the Fangio defense. Um, yeah, like where where do you see like the biggest strengths of this class? Because I know obviously the Broncos don't need receivers, but that mm-hmm. could help them because like other players could fall to them because of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think um, we recently ranked this on the podcast, but the position group, I think, are best. Our our quarterback, wide receiver, those two are really good. And then offensive tackle, I think, is up there as well. Interior, offensive line. We don't value the cornerback class as much as maybe we did last year's class or even the other classes before that, largely because I think there is a steep drop-off after the first two names. I think Caleb Farley is right now our our cornerback one. And then after that, you have Patrick Sertan of Alabama. And then if you're sticking it outside corner, I think you have JC Horn, the South Carolina kid. There are at three. But the first two names, I think, are first-rounders. After that, I think you are forcing positional need and kind of bringing positional value too much into the conversation to draft guys like J.C. Horn at the back end of the first round. But to focus on those first two names, one, Caleb Farley is an athletic freak. Mm-hmm. I think he's like the best prototype type of cornerback where he can play him in any scheme and he'll have success, similar to how we thought Jeffrey Okuda was coming out of Ohio State. I think he gets better in 2021. Apparently he was battling injuries this year too. A lot of that didn't show up. Uh, obviously uh, in the box score, how he performed from a grading perspective, but Akuda was battling injuries. And then for Patrick Sertan, you know, he's a very good player, a top 15 on our board for good reason. And I think can be a guy that still is team dependent. Like you do not want Patrick Sertan, you know, necessarily mirroring some of these jittery guys into the slot. Like you want him playing in a silo in cover three or cover four and, and protected in some ways from zone coverage because he's not an elite athlete. He's not an elite lateral athlete and, to have match and mirror skills in the NFL to track and shadow receivers you need to have that. And I don't think he necessarily does, but you can win with that. You can win with that with defensive scheme and putting him in a position to succeed. And if the, Bro- the Broncos are an obvious fit for him, like the Broncos I think do are, are an obvious fit for him for how much they do play zone coverage and protect some of their cornerbacks. I've been really impressed with what the Broncos have done with such a young cornerback group,
1: mm-hmm. Bryce
2: Call- Callahan, included, but Michael Jemoudier uh Motley playing late in the season, like to not look completely lost is a huge, I think, uh, positive sign for, uh, what Vic Fangio has done for that defense and how he's used quarterbacks in his ski.
1: Well, and I mean, and this is kind of as an aside, there was, there was a lot of talk at one point in the middle, kind of towards the end of the season, how Vic Fangio was on the hot seat, because obviously the Broncos record in, in to your point earlier about quarterback, I, I personally feel like the quarterback situation is exactly like it, it is entirely why, because he's had six quarterbacks since he took over as head coach. This is just ridiculous. And that's, and that's if you count Kendall Hinton as a quarterback. So they, that, that just, it, it, I feel like the defense isn't the problem. And I feel like he's done enough on defense to like, give him a real chance. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, do you think that Patrick Sertain fits the Fanjo defense better than Caleb Farley does?
2: So the reason I would say so, I don't think he fits it better than Farley does. I think he fits it well. Like he he fits that Denver defense better than he does other defenses. But why I'd lean Farley is because he fits any scheme. You know, he's a guy that I think you can be versatile with and do a lot of different things with. And um to touch on what you were kind of mentioning, Vic Fangio is wrongfully on on the hot seat. I mean, he is in a very bad situation at the quarterback position. That's the problem. And like. That is, again, the most position in sports. And regardless of how successful you are as a quarterback, a leader of men, a CEO of a football team, if you do not have the guy under center, you are not going to win a ton of football games in the NFL, regardless of how good you are as a coach. It's a big reason why when you see storylines popping up about uh, quarterbacks in poor play, oftentimes where that dispute is or that you know, scuttlebutt is, is between the coach. And the quarterback, Sean McVay and Jared Goff, apparently need "quote unquote" marriage counseling. John Gruden and Derek Carr have gone through it because the coach and the quarterback are very much a, a, a duo. You know, in that as well as you perform is as well as I'm going to perform. And um, when it comes to firing people and letting people go, it's going to be me or you in a certain situation. Yep.
1: And it's easier. And a lot of times, it's easier to replace the cor- uh, the coach than the quarterback. So that absolutely. But um, so one one thing I'm afraid of with Caleb Farley because I first of all, I'm having a heck of a time finding Virginia tech tape, but what I've seen of him, the fact is it's from 2019 and you and I have talked about it a little bit before I'm spooked by opt-outs and granted, I totally understand. I don't like, I don't bemoan guys opting out of this last season because it's it's kind of a mess obviously with COVID and stuff and like your health matters. But essentially like you said with Trey Lance, we haven't seen Caleb Farley for a year now. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of these guys, you're kind of taking a leap of faith that he, you know, can continue to progress over this time off. Um, yeah. What do you think about that? Like, I, I feel like it makes this draft class more of a dark, like a dark game than
2: ever before. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, so here's what I'll say it is not a negative that X player made the decision to opt out of this season. It's not that. It's not, oh man, he's, you know, he's too scared of COVID or any nonsense Great. like that. You know, you I talk agree. to some of these guys, like moms or nurses, you know, they have siblings that are sick, like they're not messing around. Mm -hmm. The the negative is, and I think it's similar to, like, getting injured. You know, it's not a negative that he got hurt. The negative is that he was hurt, and that is a concern because you didn't get to see him play. The negative is the fact of the matter is we didn't get to see Caleb Farley play. We didn't get to see Tyler Shelvin play, Gregor Russo play. And that is not their fault for making that decision, but it is just the the situation we're in. We didn't get to see them play in quite some time, and Gregor Russo and Caleb Farley are two guys that have these athletic tools that you're really excited about. But you want to see them put it together, especially in those final seasons. So much of a player's um, draft profile and, and draft stock is that final season when they ultimately put it all together, when it was their, you know, they were their oldest at that position. Age mm-hmm. and dominator rating and breakout age all matters because you need to see them do it. You know, Mike and I bring that up a ton on the podcast. You want to see them do it before you can predict and, and talk about a guy's ceiling. You got to see flashes of it. And for some of these guys, you've only seen a handful because they, haven't, they don't have a ton of tape. Yeah uh so if you, for- find some farley tape, if you do find some farley tape the unc game they, they, there's the 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 north carolina game for farley is an absolute must watch he okay. he is fantastic in that game
1: i will i don't have it yet i will do my best to hunt it down i have wake forest and then i have old dominion and i have one other game uh, i have bits of miami but yeah I'm, I'm i'm looking for it so i will let you know for sure because i i again i put it on and i'm like yeah this is the guy i want like as far as corn I've, i like certain I watched farley and i'm like i would take farley over Sertan. if if, if yeah. they're taking a corner at nine that's what i want
2: um i'm surprised that there is a conversation there like i, I do think farley is the better cornerback than Sertan. And, and as much as bloodlines matter and blue blood program like alabama and a former five-star his, his background's insane i don't know if you know this but like he played with tyson campbell opposite of tyson campbell in high school under his father who was the coach at his high school and they were two five-star recruits so tyson campbell and patrick Sertain, two six foot two, six foot three cornerbacks playing high school. They went undefeated back-to-back seasons, won two state championships. I think at American Heritage is where it was. Like his, his high school tape is probably nuts. I haven't watched it, but like that that high school defense had to have been insane. Two six foot three, five-star athletes at corner had to have been nuts.
1: Yeah, no, I didn't, I actually didn't know that. Now I'm gonna have to look back into that. Uh, I've actually, I watched a little bit of Campbell and I've watched a little bit of Stokes. I know, like you said, there's a pretty steep drop-off. Um, are there any cornerbacks kind of like as day two or day three guys? Cause I've, I've looked at the, the Minnesota Vo- Vikings draft history dating back to when they, they hired George Payton and cornerback is actually the most drafted position. Like over the entire time that he was there, uh, mm. re- receiver and cornerback are the two. Uh, so I guess, um, I think Stokes kind of stands out. He doesn't look like he moves quite as well as Campbell but are are there other guys that I should kind of be on the watch out for or that Broncos country should kind of be on the lookout for?
2: To to be fair, I don't think there's a ton of, you know, human beings that can move like Campbell. He's a, he's a really rare athlete and I think um, he's been, he's, he's going to be highly regarded. It's unfortunate that he won't be at a combine. You know, I'm sure the testing videos or whatever comes out for him will be pretty crazy, but he's a guy that will show up to a combine in a normal year and just light things on fire. But other quarterbacks I like, and to talk about Stokes, Former track athlete, I don't think his lateral agility is as good as some of the other guys here, but he's got top speed. The Mm -hmm. problem is, and a lot with these Georgia cornerbacks, is that Georgia coaches their guys to play physical and take advantage of that rule to you 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 can hit guys in front of you past five yards. You can't do that in the NFL, but you can do that in college. I think Georgia does a really good job at the collegiate level, coaching their guys to take advantage of that rule. So he's a bit grabby. It's called for a ton of penalties. I'm a little bit concerned with that, especially with how some other Georgia cornerbacks had translated to the NFL. Not DeAndre Baker, but he didn't play all that well before all the off-field stuff. Um, I think he'll have a little bit of a learning curve. I, I really like Asante Samuel Jr. He might play slot in the NFL, but I think he's an absolute dog, dude, Like just like his dad, like tackles with physicality despite his size. Um, Mike had a really good comp for Asante Samuel Jr. Oh, break Grimes. That is a fantastic con for Asante Samuel Jr. I credit Mike for that. But like smaller guy, but plays bigger than he is, plays more physical than he, you know, his stature maybe would suggest. I think that's a guy I really do like. After that, though, again, this drop-off is big. Like especially with Darion Kendrick, the Clemson cornerback going back to school. Yep. Like you're you're losing, I thought was another first-round player. But like after Asante Samuel and Tyson Campbell, you don't like Javon Holland's a slot guy. Newsom is not like a, a, an ideal athlete at the position. Take Gowan is an older prospect. Sean Wade, I've talked about my concerns with Wade, but like that's another guy where like I probably want to play him in the slot, if not maybe at safety. You want to get an outside corner in this class, a guy that can come in and play really well early. You're gonna to have to get them early. And I, I think that's usually what it is with the cornerback class, but that, that's where I see it. Gotcha.
1: Uh so kind of moving to the tackles, because you mentioned how deep the tackle class is. The Bronco, the Broncos line, obviously they just re-signed Garrett Bowles. They have Dalton Reisner. They have, presumably if Lloyd Custard takes a jump, they, they have a center and they have uh Graham Glasgow on the right side. The big question for them is they have Juwan James, who has essentially played, I think he's played 62 snaps over the last two years because he opted out and then he got hurt his first year. So right tackle is kind of like the question mark. And because James is under contract, they're probably not going to grab a first round guy, but they're probably going to end up grabbing a guy who can eventually take over with the idea that they'll probably move on from James. Uh, are there any guys who kind of stand out to you that way, like that we should kind of be on the lookout for?
2: Yeah, I, I love this tackle class. I think there are going to be guys at the top of day two that are absolute studs, that could start early in their careers. After like the mainstays of Penesol or Sean Slater and then Christian Darisaw. those are three guys that I feel pretty confident going the first round. Um, I think you have guys like Tevin Jenkins of Oklahoma State, Sam Cosme, And Walker Little. I put those guys in a similar boat because they're just freaky athletes. Like Sam Cosme and Walker Little are freaky, freaky athletes that I think still need some polish, still need play strength. But guys that at the top of day two, I'm sprinting the card in. Because one, tackle's a very valuable position in the NFL, especially when you look at how much these guys get paid when they turn out to be good. And two, Sam Cosby and Walker Little are guys with a ton of tools. And we've seen time and time again, one of the more predictive metrics for offensive tackles are some of these combine testing numbers, like broad jump, vertical jump. We talk, I talked to Tristan Wirfs. He says, "What's?" I asked him what the most important drill is for offensive linemen at the combine. He said broad jump. Obviously, he broke freaking combine records for what he did at, what, 320, 330 pounds at the combine. You want to see that from some of these guys. You want to see guys explode out of their stance, explode on the broad jump and vertical. Um, Alex Sleatherwood, I put in the conversation there as well. He's ranked 35th on our board. We'll be going to the senior bowl as well in one-on-ones. I think that'll be big. Smooth feet really athletic, maybe not in the same tier as Walker Little or um, uh, Sam Cosme, but I do think a, a very productive player at Alabama for quite some time, playing left tackle, and in that, like, decorated offensive tackle class, a recruiting class, I think it was, what, 2017, maybe 20 yeah 2017? Cosme, Walker Little, Alex Leatherwood was the number one recruit. Like, I mean, he was the guy that, that was most decorated. I think that this tackle class is loaded with five-star studs, like Cosme, Little, Leatherwood. Like, these guys are, like, legit – freaky athletes that have a ton of tools that I think the NFL will flock to.
1: To me, uh, hearing this, and again, I've thought this before, but hearing this only reaffirms in my mind that if the Broncos aren't going to try and go up for a quarterback, the smart thing would be to do, and again, it's easier said than done, but to try and get down, collect extra picks and just throw a bunch of stuff at the wall, because that back end of the first and the early part of the second, there's probably going to be a lot of athletes that fit the Broncos needs.
2: Mm -hmm. No, no, I would agree. I mean, I I think, if you're not moving up for a quarterback and you like stay put at nine and you stay put at the top of the second round, I think tra- attacking uh, offensive tackle in the second round and then maybe taking the best cornerback available at nine, if not, if, if a field doesn't fall to you, is probably the strategy I'd be leaning towards. And I hate this early in the process, starting to identify names or even positions to target. But you, you've probably heard me talk about this a ton, but positional value matters. And if I'm, if I'm drafting early, if I'm drafting in the top 50, I want corners, I want quarterbacks, I want receivers, and I want tackles. I'm not drafting interior defensive linemen or pass rushers is also in the conversation. But this pass rushing class is not good. Like, this edge defender class is not good. This defensive tackle class is not good. And um, really concerning for teams that are looking to add to their pass rush this offseason. Because I would argue that the free agency class isn't that good either. Like, after Bud Dupree, Shaquille Barrett, Jadavion Clowney, all of those guys are going to make more money than probably they're worth. And um, – I'd be really concerned if I'm going into this offseason saying biggest need for me is edge because like there's just not a lot of talent this offseason.
0: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered com. It's
2: my little escape.
0: Now Judy's the life of the party.
2: Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon.
0: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DW Group. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus.
1: So, with that, with that in mind, because I, I have watched some of the edge class, because even and again, I don't want to speculate on, uh, on on Von Miller's legal situation. I, you know, we don't know what it is. I don't want to speculate on it. We, like, we're just going to leave that kind of like where it is. But like, even before that, there has been talk about he's he's getting older. He's coming out the freak injury, and they have the team option. So before that, before like anything happens with the legal thing, I would say that it makes no sense to let him go. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, again, repl- you're going to have to replace him. And in 2019, he had more pressure. He had, I think he had three times as many pressures as anyone else on the Broncos. Something ridiculous. Um, But let's say you have to replace him. Who stands out to you as guys that you, you'd you be okay with like taking a shot on? Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, at nine, I think the only name I'd be willing to take a shot on at nine is a guy I just had the opportunity to talk to um, tonight, actually, was Pay of Michigan, because I think he has the demeanor, the tools, the production at a Blue Blood program to feel really confident about him, not just being a very good NFL player, but being one that gets better every single year in the NFL. I think after that, like, you could argue Gregory Rousseau, the Miami kid, but like, honestly, I was talking to Steve Palazzolo about this, another analyst here at BFF, and it's like, would I want to be the team that takes Gregor Rousseau in the first round? I'm not saying that he's not a first-round player. Right now, 14th on our board because he is expected to be, or on, on tape as well, just this athletic freak. Like, absurd length, arm length that you, like, dream for at the edge defender position. Like, if you built an edge in a lab, he would look like Gregor Rousseau. And that's a big reason why he probably goes inside the top 15, 20 picks. But so much work needs to be done on Rousseau for him to be a productive player. And I think your defensive coordinator – have to be very creative with his usage early on because this guy hasn't played a lot. Like he only played a redshirt freshman season at Miami and then opted out. Like we've seen one season and he barely played the same position in back-to-back games. Like you saw him at interior defensive line, you saw him at edge, you saw him at off-ball linebacker. Like this guy has done so many different things at Miami to where similar, not 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 too similar to, but somewhat similar to Isaiah Simmons. And then like where am I playing this guy out of the gate? I don't really know. Obviously, his best position in the NFL ideally is edge. But that was also what we said about Von Clowney. And he's played everywhere for the teams he's played for. Like, they do not keep him at one position because you need to create these one-on-ones for him in those things. The other guys I like in this class, Owe, has been a guy I've been really high on. I'm, I'm happy Mike moved him up our board to 20 recently because I've, I loved his tape in 20, uh, 2019. And even the tape you saw in 2020 was good. And after that, I think where I start to feel less confident in the first round is like after Aziz Ojulari. The edge defender from Georgia, because once you get into Basham, Jalen Phillips, Peyton Turner, this edge class kind of dies. Like you're looking at guys that don't have as high ceilings as, as, as the top three guys I listed.
1: And, and listening to the two for one, a lot of times what you guys have mentioned, and, and I want you know our, our audience to hear this too, is that with edge class, like the athletic tools are just so damn important. Like you can project it really easily because if the guy has mm-hmm. those tools, it translates. Like unless something else freaky happens, like that guy having those tools it matters. And usually the guys that produce in the NFL at a top level as an edge, they have those athletic tools. Like Shaq Barrett's like an exception. Whereas like basically everyone else, they're elite athletes.
2: Yeah. I mean, talking to Dr. Eric Eager, a data scientist here at PFF, and a guy you can follow on Twitter at PFF underscore Eric, something he's been working on for our research and development team is college to pro projections and looking at what metrics that PFF tracks, what athletic metrics he's looking at. Um, uh, word analysis, building word clouds out of draft reports and stuff like that. What he sees is the most or most predictive trick or area of play for edge defenders is athletic testing, like broad jump, 40-yard dash, 10-yard split, arm length. Like that is what he sees translates to production from college to the NFL. And it's a big reason why the NFL jumps at the opportunity to bring in guys like Clowney or Rashawn Gary or these guys that just are freaks. Like in credit pay – I'll tell you right now, to tease the interview a little bit, like he was rumored to be, you know, this absolute freak. He's a number one on Bruce Feldman's freaks list for a reason, and was said to run a 457 40-yard dash at 275 pounds and also run a 6-3-7 come better than Tyreek Hill. And he sent me the video of it. It probably doesn't come out to six three seven if you break down each second, but he runs a he runs a sub-6'5 three And that in and of itself will not let you leave the top 10 of the draft. Like I'm sorry. Like there were going to be coaches defensive line coaches, scouts, GMs, that are drooling at the opportunity to get an edge defender with that kind of bend and with that kind of athleticism and change of direction ability that Quidi has.
1: And yeah, that's, so, and I just told you this, but like, I've been trying to work through the class a little bit. And I, I I, have a thing because again, like because Vic Fangio does emphasize the ability to run sim pressures and drop a guy off into space, I always kind of try and look for that. And I was watching Jalen Phillips and I, I feel like Jalen Phillips, he, he's a big guy. He moves okay like he kind of reminds me of jerry Itachu. like he can move okay but that's not what you're going to ask him to do like he's not going to win that way he's not going to be the guy you draft for that and i was kind of wondering if Quiddy pay was going to be that same because he's again he's a big player and i turned on tape and it took me maybe 10 snaps where i was like yep he can do it so yeah i'm if, if the broncos draft him that high first of all i'm going to be sad because that means probably von miller's playing out the end of his contract with the broncos but he's got the goods man like he, he's got juice
2: he does have the goods. He's also a really –
1: he was a fantastic
2: interview. That that uh, drops tomorrow or Thursday is when i will have it. But um, I, I'm, I'm excited about Quiddy Pay, man. I, I really am impressed. And I, I mean, he, former running back at Rhode Island, was born in Guinea, moved to Rhode Island at, at six months old, didn't pick up a football until middle school, mostly ran track, and that shows up. This guy's technique in the three count is like the best I've ever seen. Um, but he, he, he's a fun player. And I think at nine, I really like it for the Denver Broncos, especially if you're attacking a position of high positional value. Hopefully by that point you've made the decision to upgrade the quarterback position for Vic Fangio's sake, for that offense's sake. But if you are ignoring it and you're, you're hoping Drew Locke to take elite,
1: I think Cody Pay is a guy at nine I really like. Uh, so the one last position on D- – well, there's actually two, I guess. Alexander Johnson, two years ago, graded really, really highly with PFF. And it shows mm-hmm. up when you – I mean, basically from the moment he gets on the football field in 2019, he looked elite. Uh, Last year, quite not quite as much. Part of it, I think, is just all the supporting cast around him. Part of it is that he didn't have Todd Davis next to him. The Broncos have been – the Broncos last year tried to sign Joe Schobert, and they actually tried to trade up to get Patrick Queen before the Ravens got him. Uh, I think they had a deal in place with the Titans, and then it just didn't happen, obviously. Are there any linebackers that kind of stand out to you that might I, – I know Joke is kind of one, but I – there's always questions about his box fit, but outside mm-hmm. of him – like, first of all, do you do you feel like he would might be a fit? Or is there anybody else that kind of stands out to you that would be like that coverage guy, that kind of adds like that range in the second level?
2: Yeah, I mean this this linebacker class is very interesting because you have the top there at Michael Parsons, who I, I don't know if you know that Michael Parsons wanted to wrestle at Penn State as a freshman and asked the coach if he could, and they ended up turning him down. He played linebacker, but he was also recruited as an edge, and arguably. He could be a the he is the best edge defender in this class if he played edge. And I think he'll be it'll be interesting to see how he's used, because he can be that, you know, in between the in between the tackles, linebacker for you. He's got some of the best run fits in this class. Like he legitimately, legit plays the run better than any linebacker in this class. He's a very smart player. You can see that instantly. But if you want to get his value at the most, I think it's playing him close to the along the edge on passing downs and, and watching this guy cook as an edge spinner. But then after him, at 19 on our board, we have Joe, Jeremiah, who's law of Notre Dame. And I've talked to people who think he's a safety. And That's at like 6'2", 215, like, I can see him playing more safety. The problem is, is, if he's playing safety, you're not playing him in a too high defense. You're going to run a ton of single high, like a Gus Bradley type, where you're playing him in the box, constantly matching him up against tight ends and slots. And that'll work. Like, you can play him in that rover role. But, like, don't draft him if you play too high. Like, I yeah. mean, don't draft him to play safety if you because uh, then you're just like removing some of his best ability. And then after that, two guys I'll put in a similar conversation at 31 and 44 on our board are Zayvon Collins and Chester Rat. two guys that you want in a Brian Flores, Matt Patricia, Bill Belichick type of defense where you're blitzing them a ton. Like you, you are sending them at the quarterback a ton and, and, and giving them gaps and not asking them to read the ton. Chester Rat was a quarterback at UNC before like two years ago. And for Zayvon Collins, an absolute monster from Hominy, Oklahoma population of 3,500 people Played running back, tight end, wide receiver, safety, edge, linebacker, punter at his high school was just an absolute freak and only had one offer coming out, Tulsa, and and, and has easily been. You watch every single game at Tulsa; he is the best player on the football field. It's not close. Every single game he's played in, and I think that speaks volumes to what this guy can be in the NFL. But he needs to get a lot better from a technical standpoint and just learning plays because, look, like play recognition and just the mental aspect of the game. Because he's been able, he's been awarded the luxury of being the most athletic, biggest dude on the field every single time he's stood up. Like, and at a certain point, you don't learn the game that way. Like it's, Chase Young, as good as he is, can beat people without pass rush moves. He can yep. beat them with just being a pure freak along the edge. I think Zayvon Collins needs to add some of that to his game. And the last guy I'll bring up here, and one of my favorites in this class, is Nick Bolton of Missouri, a guy that can be your in-between-the-tackles linebacker, at off ball, that you don't need to blitz a ton on passing downs, you don't need to put on the edge, He's not going to be the guy that covers the slot. He plays in between the tackles every play, reacts in front of him, and is that traditional linebacker that hits with with a thousand – You know, he brings the heat every single time he hits somebody. And I think that guy, he'll probably go at the back end of the first, if not the top of the second. He's the guy that you want like with the green dot in your huddle because I really do think he's that good, and I think he brings that traditional downhill, thumper-style linebacker that a lot of defenses still run.
1: Nice. Uh and again, I, I hate to just keep saying like, you know, but Kareem Jackson is going to be 33 last year of his contract. There's already talk that they might trade him. They might, you know, they might cut him. They might, you know, whatever do, to do a cost, custom, uh, cost cutting. Justin Simmons, uh, I assume George Payton is going to assign him. If he doesn't, I'm going to probably sell pickets and we're going to march on his office. Uh, but Kareem Jackson is probably not going to be long for the Broncos. I like the TCU players, but at safety who else stands out because the thing with Fangio is they need to be able to cover both as like essentially as like a quasi corner they also need to be able to run the alley because they play a lot of too high and they have to come down from that alley to to fill who kind of because that that's my question with Andre Cisco is that I don't know if he has the physicality to kind of fill against the run like that um mm-hmm. are there guys that kind of stand out to you that might uh that I haven't kind of already noticed so
2: i'm less concerned with cisco's physicality as i am which like sometimes it's the boneheadedness on his tape like i've said this before but like he's a roller coaster like he takes a ton of risks almost to the point where like i'd almost rather have him as a box player than a deep safety because you don't want him taking those risks when big plays are afoot. you know i think you want him in the box and and, and, because he's a bigger guy too great straight line speed as well it should run like in the low four fours, if not four threes. I think he's been clocked in the four threes before. Um, but the safety class is not great. I mean, especially if you're looking for a guy to play the box and come downhill. I think Jeremiah Wusu is probably that player you want if you are looking for that type. Deep safety, Trayvon Morrig, who's the number one safety on our board, probably the only first rounder in this class, ranks twenty-second on our board. Love him coming out of TCU. Our Darius Washington. I think
1: already- loves I, I like. Sorry, I like this 2019. Uh, and I saw your great. Your grading was really high for his 2019. I haven't watched much of his 2020. I watched him with him last summer before this year happened. So I saw that the grading's lower. So I don't, I don't know kind of what happened to him.
2: I think I think honestly, a lot of it was just like not as many plays on the ball. I think playing a little bit slower than he was in previous years and missing more tackles than you expected. Like he was not. He did not miss any tackles. Like barely any tackles in 2019 Miss some more tackles this year that'll ding your grade quite a bit And smaller guy like like mike has said this but you're not going to draft him in the first round like he's just he's he's not he's small he's not tall and he's a little bit thinner than you want for a guy that his size so like that's a bit of a concern but he's a ball player like is really really smart in that regard and i think you're going to see a guy that like at bare minimum is a career special teamer but could really you know come out to be a very productive player regardless of the role you're playing him in and after that like this is this is a tough safety class. Like, Elijah Molden I really like as a slot type. I don't know necessarily if I play him at deep safety. I like him in the slot. Paris Ford, like Andre Sisco, is an absolute roller coaster that, like, just, just his tape is like, oh, my gosh, that was a sick play. And, like, what are you doing? You know, kind of like Jonathan Abram in some ways. <laughs> like yeah. Jonathan Abram, like, will do a layout hit for the Raiders or even at the state. And then the next play, like, go two underneath in his zone. And next thing you know, give up a huge play. Um, some deeper guys that I like. Talanoa Hufanga, former four-star, five-star recruit that just hasn't been healthy at USC. But if you can put it together, stay healthy, I think he has some skills. And James Wiggins, Cincinnati kid who, like, dude, is a monster. Like Originally, I think committed to Florida. It's from, like, what, South Dade High School. A guy that I think will be higher on people's boards than maybe where PFF has him right now at 142 because he is this, like, freaky athlete. Stiffer than you want him to be. That's a concern. Like, top speed, physicality, he has that stuff. I think there's some guys on day two, day three where you can feel comfortable bringing them in.
1: Uh, and then, so, and I, I gotta get your thoughts on this because I, I just finished the episode uh, that you guys did, and you guys were talking about the rookies from the worst situation and Jerry, Judy came up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I wanted to just kind of pick your brain on that just because I, I had Jerry Judy as the number one receiver on my board back last year, because I thought he was the perfect fit for Pat Schirmer's offense. First of all, and I thought the ability to separate, like I'm, I'm more worried about that as long as his, his hands aren't garbage. Um, And I didn't think Jerry Dewey's hands were garbage. There were some drops, but, like, I wasn't worried about it. What do you think, kind of, going forward? Like, should Broncos fans be concerned by his rookie year? Do you think, like, do you remain high on him? Like, you know, kind of where you're at with him.
2: I'm still really high on him. He was also my number one receiver coming out. I still think he has an opportunity to be, like, that number one receiver coming out because of his ability to separate. I'm not concerned with the five-drop game that drops his grade pretty decently. Like, drops are largely noise. Like, you do not – see bad ball skills on his tape. And I hate to bring this up. People hate me for saying this, but like Noah Fant doesn't have great ball skills. Like, so you don't see focus drops on Noah Fant's tape, you see bad approaches to the football. And I think he can get better there. I'm not saying Noah Fant sucks for that reason, but like the, that those are opposite situations. Like Noah fans drops are not, not all drops are created equal. And I think Jerry Judy's are ones where you can kind of throw them out the window, similar to how people throw like Amari Cooper drops out the window. Like he is not a guy that has bad ball skills. He's just focus drops sometimes. With Judy, the, the situation was bad, and, and Mike said it best. I mean, like, Drew Locke, you know, specifically with his average depth of target pushing the ball downfield, like, you saw him miss a handful of times. I don't know if you listened to the Chris Collinsworth podcast with Richard Sherman, but they brought on Xavier Howard. And you should hear what Xavier Howard has to say about Jerry Judy. Because I know, he, I can do it now. He, he talks him up like none other. He says, dude, that guy turned me around on a slant like no other receiver had this year. Like, he has – the moves and Xavier Howard, you know, gases him up pretty decently. And I think the guys who watch him play, like, if you watch his all twenty-two and you watch all of his routes, like you see a guy that creates separation consistently and wins on a vertical route tree on those valuable routes. The problem has been the quarterback situation in Denver, and it's not all on Drew Lock. It's not all on the quarterback you catch the ball more consistently. Mm-hmm. I, I think you can run more complex routes in that offense with Jared Judy. I think he wasn't creating separation every single route. Like there's opportunities for him to get better. Like I still think. As good as Justin Jefferson was breaking the rookie receiving yards record, we could be talking about them at least in a similar category uh, moving forward. Oh, sorry.
1: oh, you're okay. So, and then I, I kind of, kind of, because I want to be mindful of your time. I know I'm keeping you kind of a long time. Uh, okay, uh, kind of like ideal, and I know we're really far out, but like kind of like if you if you could be the Broncos, if you were the GM, and you wanted to win the draft, like. For your franchise into 2021 and beyond like with what kind of what, what we know right now, what would be your strategy? With the, wait, you're saying with the Broncos, sorry, you broke up there. Like, like yeah, sorry. Let's say, let's say you got hired. You're, you're G- George Payton. You're not, you know, George Payton's not the GM. You're the GM. What would be your strategy for the Broncos to kind of set them up to, to kind of win from now on in the AFC West? Cause obviously like Justin Herbert's not going anywhere. Patrick Mahomes isn't going anywhere. Like what, what would you try and do with this draft and, what makes the most sense for them?
2: Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I'm giving I'm giving Nick Casario a call. I'm just going to see where it's at. I'm just going to see what's going on, just to see what the what the trade offer currently stands at, or if he is interested or he's not. Because a lot of this is smoke. I'm at least giving him a call to see if I can make a power move for Deshaun Watson and like try and put this franchise on the map. If not, I am like deeply, deeply evaluating the quarterbacks. Like, and if I, because I always say this too, you can't be overconfident in your evaluation even at the quarterback position. You can't be, this is the guy, this is, you know, Dan Marino reincarnated. You're nine times out of 10, you're wrong. Like you need to lean on your coaching staff. You need to lean on your scouts and evaluate this quarterback class. Because if you have a consensus in your building that there's a guy in this class that you can go up and get for a first round or two first round picks that can be a difference maker at the position, you make the move. Nine times out of 10. I mean, we've talked about it before, but like quarterbacks, or that position that you do trade up for in the class. You rarely get an outstanding quarterback prospect to fall to you, even as high as pick nine in in drafts. I mean, you look what the Kansas City Chiefs did. No one brings this up enough. They had Alex Smith just go to the freaking playoffs. They could have been comfortable in their situation. They traded up all the way up to 10 to go grab Patrick Holmes because they knew in their building that this guy's a difference maker. This guy is legit in a lot of different ways. You cannot be comfortable. You cannot be satisfied with a quarterback. You need to be satisfied with the quarterback. And I don't think the Denver Broncos have that yet. At least they can't be confident they do. You don't have to completely throw Drew Locke out the window. I think there's too many times where we're talking about the quarterback position, like a Sam Darnold, Derek Carr a few years ago, uh, even Trubisky, where it's like give up on him. He's done. Trade him. Jump him. Cut him. That doesn't have to be the case. Like bring if You can keep him if you still feel confident he can improve. But you better have a backup plan, and you better have someone that can compete with them, and you play the best player. I think a good example of this is what the Browns did with Baker Mayfield. The, Bron- the, the Broncos are in a different situation, not drafting number one overall. But the GM said, we're bringing in Baker Mayfield. We think he's the best player in this class. We think he's the best quarterback in this class. Hugh Jackson played the best quarterback. He plays Tyra Taylor, doesn't coach for there much longer. That's a situation the Broncos need to be in. They need to have a quarterback they feel confident in, like trading up for a, a Wilson or a Fields or even a Lance, if they feel that confident, and have him compete. With Drew Locke. You don't have to cut him. You don't have to trade him. You don't have to quote unquote give up on this quarterback. Compete. Best one plays. And you'll be better for it. Competition breeds success. And if you if Drew Locke outperforms the guy you traded up for, you're in a really good position. You have a good quarterback. Like you don't have to worry about the draft capital you give up for another quarterback. If you get if when it all comes when it's all said and done, you get a good one. So a lot of this conversation has been about the quarterback. I'm obviously looking to make an upgrade at the position, trying to trade up if my staff feels good about one. If I can't, if I don't, say I hate every quarterback in this class, then I'm looking to potentially trade down, always trade down when you have roster holes kind of significantly on defense. But if not, one of the cornerbacks, Caleb Farley at nine, Quiddy Pay, uh, the edge defender from Michigan at, um, at nine, largely because you're not going to get a very good one after that. Like this second round is not loaded with talent at corner or pass rusher. Then in the second round where I think there is value is safety and offensive tackle, seeing the best player available on my board and swinging the bat there.
1: Thank you so much. I feel so much more. About, no, like, I like when I edit this, I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna write down all the names you mentioned, and I'm gonna go look at them. So I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Um, tell everybody where like, again, two for one drafts, if you don't check it out, I follow it basically all year round. So I recommend that. Um, Austin's great. Mike's great. Honestly, like, I have great conversations with you guys all the time. So um, cool. yeah, so uh, it, my Twitter, right? two for one drafts is a great
2: podcast. Uh, Mike and I have been doing it for a little over a year now. Really excited. I think this is our second like full draft or maybe our third. I mean, it's hard to know, but uh, we're really excited about it. We're bummed we can't go to the senior bowl. Bummed we can't go to the combine. Like really hoping that we could have pulled those things through because that's where we have a lot of fun meeting some of the other guys in the industry, but then also go to PFF.com or you know, check out my work on, um, on PFF.com. Follow me on Twitter, PFF underscore Austin Gale, P-A-Y-L-E. But I- I'm really excited, man. I appreciate you uh, you bringing me on.
1: Definitely. Hey, have a great night.
2: You too.